There we go. Thank you. Um, I hope you had good discussions at your tables. It seemed like everyone was kind of talking and engaging, and, and that was good to see. All right, how's the sound? Are we, is it okay? It, seems, it feels like a little loud to me, like I've got a bit of feedback there. Okay, is that better? A little bit better? Yeah, okay. Everybody hear me all right? Good. All right, um, we are gonna be looking at this section, defining union with Christ to start out with. Uh, if you wanna open your books to that. I feel like I'm still kind of hearing that feedback. Can we turn it down just a smidge more? Okay, that, that feels better. Do you guys, can y'all hear me now? Okay, excellent. All right, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us, just as Christ abides in his Father and the Father abides in Christ. This language of indwelling is often called union with Christ. Really, it would be better if we called it union with the Trinity, because it is dwelling with God the Father through the mediation of Christ by the Spirit. The triune nature of our union with Christ is captured really beautifully, succinctly, in chapter 14, verse 26 of John's Gospel. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Father sends the Spirit to dwell in us and teach us and bring to our minds everything that Jesus um, said and did in his earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus is in the Father, as we said. The Father is in Jesus the Son, and together they send the Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, to be in us and enable us to be in him. That's union with Christ in a, in a nutshell. Um, Union with Christ, if you want to look at your definition there, refers to the real living bond between Jesus Christ and his believers, accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gift of faith because of God the Father's wisdom, love, and grace. Union with Christ means that Christ dwells in his people and his people dwell in him, that we have loving fellowship and communion with the triune God. And it's really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. All right. So that's, that's a good definition to kind of get us going. Um, remember that earlier we said the gospel is not simply what we're saved from, but what we're saved for. Uh, the vine and the branches that we've been studying today is one powerful image or metaphor of this truth. But the Bible gives us many other images as well. Um, we have marriage, um, two becoming one flesh, husband and wife. Um, in Ephesians 5, for example, Paul says, For this reason shall a father uh, and mother, or shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And then he says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Um, there's also the imagery of the head and the body. There's a real and vital connection between the head and the other members of the body. They're united, inseparable. So we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Um, it is important, I, I think, to pause and sort of note that use of the word mystery for just a moment. Um, it's actually a really rich biblical word, and it doesn't mean mystery like a puzzle that we can't figure out, like 
we can't really understand it or grasp it. It's more, it's so deep, it's so rich that we'll never get to the bottom of it. You know, we can never say enough about it. We can't totally fathom it. Um, when Paul starts teaching about these things or writing about these things in his letters, he gets just rhapsodic. He's like, oh, the unsearchable riches of the wisdom and the glorious grace. And he just sort of like goes on and on about it. So it, it is a mystery in that it's deep and it's profound, but it's intelligible. We can, we can, we can understand it. We can grasp it. We'll never get to the end of it. Um, but we can never say enough about it. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, there's two words that I think are really helpful for understanding union, and they're there on your page. Um, one is representation, and the other is participation. Representation and participation. So uh, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Uh, scripture teaches us that because we are in Christ, Jesus is our mediator and representative before God the Father. Every part of his life, death, and resurrection has personal significance for you. Um, I wish we had time in our talk to go really deep with some of these concepts, but if you want to make a note, some good passages to study on your own are Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, Ephesians 1, really all of Ephesians, but especially the first chapter, and Colossians 3. Those are just um, wonderful passages to study for this idea of representation. I think about the idea of representative government. Um, our legislators represent us in the government. They act and do on our behalf. Um, or think about a legal representative. Um, if you have a lawyer, if you have to be in court, your lawyer is going to speak for you and represent your interests before the judge. Um, or even think about sports, like your favorite sports analogy. If, if, uh, if you're rooting for your favorite team and one player kicks the winning goal, even if he's on the field and you're on the sidelines, what are you going to say? We won! You know, we did it. He did it, but we did it because you're sort of united to him. You're in him. So that's the idea of representation. There's a, a certain unity between the representative and the person that they represent. Um, so that is you are in Christ. We are, we are in Christ as he represents us. But then Christ is also in us. It's kind of the other side of that coin. Um, we are really and truly joined to him in a profound and mysterious way so that he lives in us and produces his life in us, which renews our nature, identity, and hope forever. Um, this means that we have this actual participation in the divine life. We are justified, but we are also sanctified. We have forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, adoption as sons and daughters, and Jesus is making his home in the hearts of individual believers. This is, when you like think about this idea, this is actually crazy, right? Like, I just stop and think about it. But God says, I'm going to live in you. I mean, do you, do you think about this? Do you contemplate this mystery of the fact that God, who is God, 
says, I'm going to make my home in the heart of every individual believer. It's really beyond, beyond comprehension and, and such a, an amazing reality. Um, I hope this gives us some categories to sort of begin to talk about union with Christ. Um, remember, we said God himself is the greatest treasure of the gospel, not the things that we receive from God, the forgiveness and so forth, but God himself, our ability to enjoy his presence, to abide with him, to connect with him, to live with him in love. God is the treasure of the gospel. And then all of the other benefits, justification, sanctification, adoption, heavenly session with, with Christ, that all of these things flow from him. Um, all right, I'd like to turn now and talk about the art of abiding. We've seen that Christ invites us to participate in his divine life by abiding in his love. But how do we do that? What does that even look like? You know, what is, okay, Rachel, what do you, what do you mean abide? Like, well, how do we do that? Um, there's two ways that we could answer that question. And they fall into sort of opposite extremes of Christian spirituality. I could say that abiding in Christ looks like some version of just believe. God asks nothing of you. And if you want to look, by the way, in your books, turn over past the discussion pages and past the notes to this page that has the little um, chart at the top. We're going to look at that page. Uh, just believe God asks nothing of you. Salvation is all of grace. You can't add anything to the work of Christ. Even your best deeds are filthy rags. You have to depend on the grace of God for everything in your life, including the way you come to Christ. So just give up trying, confess your moralism, your works righteousness. Just be still and know that I am God. This is what Rankin Wilburn calls the way of extravagant grace. Okay? Or I could say some version of just obey. God is a holy God, and he demands that we be holy as he is holy. So we have to be all in, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles, and run with perseverance the race that is set before you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So what are you waiting for? Put on the full armor of God. You need his power to work really hard to mortify sin and pray a lot and be a super good person. This is what Rankin Wilburn calls the way of radical discipleship. So we have the way of extravagant grace, the way of radical discipleship. Now, here's the deal. Both of these ways, which seem so sort of mutually exclusive, they're true at the same time. They're both true. It's both and. Salvation is all of grace, and yet we're required to respond with love and obedience, strengthened by the Spirit. Union with Christ solves this apparent problem for us because Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. He is working in our hearts to produce the fruit that we want to see. All of our imperfections and sins are accounted for and translated into holiness by his gracious work on the cross as time goes by. This is um, sometimes called the difference between the indicative and the imperative. You may have heard that distinction before. The indicative is what is true, 
the imperative is what we should do. Um, so many of Paul's letters in the New Testament, like Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, they can divide between the indicative and imperative. Paul will spend the first little bit of his letter sort of saying, here's all the things that are true about God and about Jesus and about you. Here's, here's reality. And then he'll say, now, because of that, you should do these things, right? Live on the basis of what's true. Um, you are holy, so be holy. You have died, so put to death, therefore, whatever is impure in you, right? It's, it's grace and discipleship, both working together by the Spirit. Now, Leslie Newbegin says that abiding in Christ is not automatic. It's a daily choice point. It is the continually renewed decision that what has been done once for all by the action of Jesus shall be the basis or the starting point, the context of all my thinking and deciding and doing. It is a constant running conversation that we have with God the Father and the Son by the Spirit of Christ that looks like yielding ourselves up to his will. Jesus often said, I do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. So one way to answer the question of what does it mean to abide is to say that it means continuously choosing to think, act, and speak on the basis of what we know is true of us in Christ. Okay, another way of uh, explaining abiding with Christ is to talk about practicing the presence of God, which is a phrase that comes from the life of a 17th century French monk uh, named Brother Lawrence. You may have heard of him before. Uh, Brother Lawrence was a humble man who worked in the kitchen of his monastery in Paris in the 1600s. And he devoted himself to abiding in Christ in the midst of an ordinary life filled with mundane chores and routines and business. He taught that all work could be motivated by love for God. He said, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love for him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me the grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Isn't that dear? Just his humility and um, his perseverance in the ordinary things of life. Um, Brother Lawrence lived this, in a self-conscious reflection of the loving presence of God at all times. Um, and he admitted that this path towards union with Christ was not easy. He spent years disciplining his heart and his mind to yield to God's presence. As often as I could, he said, I placed myself as a worshiper before him, fixing my mind upon his holy presence, recalling it when I found it wandering from him. This proved to be an exercise frequently painful, yet I persisted through all difficulties. I've entitled this talk, The Art of Abiding, because I think that as Brother Lawrence teaches us, abiding is an art. It's a skill, it's a practice, it's something that we work at daily. And it takes um, discipline, you know, to learn how to do it over time. But the good news about an art like that is that it does eventually become intuitive. 
Um, your fingers learn to play the keys, right? You have this muscle memory. Anything that you do as an art or a discipline eventually just becomes a part of you and it's something that you don't think about anymore. But getting there takes lots of skill, lots of discipline, lots of practice. Uh, one very simple place to begin with abiding <clears throat> is to be more intentional about your very first thoughts of the day and your very last thoughts of the day. So let's think about morning conversations with God and evening conversations with God. When you're still in bed and you wake up in the morning, can you begin to discipline yourself uh, to greet the Lord before you do anything else? He's there with you when you wake up. The Psalms say he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over you and he's, he's watching you. He's with you when you first rise up in the morning. You can say, good morning, Lord. You can talk to him about what's in your heart. If your to-do list or your appointments start flooding into your head, just talk to him about that the way you would with a friend. Invite him to come along with you in all that you must do. Ask him to be near and to infuse your work with his light and his grace. Now, same thing for evening conversations with God. When your head finally hits the pillow at night and you've done all that you're going to do that day, be sure to turn your thoughts to God. Share with him your reflections from the day. What went well? What was hard? What were your strongest feelings? What are you looking forward to in the day ahead? He is there as you lie down and you can abide with him in your last thoughts before sleep. If you are not in the habit of talking to God like this, just try it and expect that it will be more natural as time goes by. Remember that God loves you. Your union with Christ means that you are his beloved. He is for you. He is not against you. He is not displeased or angry when you don't pray enough or ever or for a while. He's, he's still there loving you. He's not going to withdraw from you or punish you for forgetting him. He's always in you, and you are in him, so you can come to him always. All right, uh, let's think a little bit now about sort of the ordinary means of grace as ways that we put ourselves in the path of abiding. Um, the ordinary means of grace I have listed out for you are prayer, meditation on God's word, uh, worship and, and corporate worship on a weekly basis, um, his sacraments and community. And <clears throat> these ordinary means of grace, they um, are helped by our union with Christ and they help us in our union with Christ. It's kind of um, a mutually influencing relationship there. Um, the disciplines that God gives us help to transform us. Um, let's think a little bit about prayer. Um, we've already talked about it um, as sort of a constant conversation with the lover of our souls. It's not so much about asking God for things as it is about meeting with God and experiencing him. Um, also, prayer from the perspective of union with Christ means that all of our prayers are off offered to God in, through, by, and for Jesus. And remember, Jesus is praying for you. He says in John 17, very simply, in his high priestly prayer, 
I am praying for you. So when you come to God in prayer, you come in Christ and he is praying with and for you. That's just a stunning thought, isn't it? So beautiful and transformative, I think. Meditation. If you're like me, reading the Bible can often feel like a chore. You know, one more thing to do. I should read the Bible today. Um, But union with Christ helps us in meditating on God's word because every part of scripture is about Christ. And we can approach the Bible knowing that we are connected to God in Christ by the Spirit. So as as we come to God's word, again, it's about meeting God, experiencing him, abiding with him, because we have Jesus in us. And he's there too. And the Holy Spirit who inspired God's word is dwelling in our hearts. Um, It's very transformative to think about reading scripture um, this way. He's speaking to us. He's living in us. He's active. He's doing things in us when we read the Bible. Um, So this is so different than coming to the Bible as, I'm going to get a little golden nugget of wisdom for my day, right? I'm going to like try to find a principle that I can apply. No, it's about meeting with our Jesus, you know, and hearing him talk to us, hearing his voice. My sheep know my voice, Jesus says. Union with Christ also changes how we worship. Um, We come to worship aware of the fact that Christ is in us, that he calls us into worship as our great high priest, that he leads us into the Father's presence where he dwells, Because of Jesus dwelling in us, we can lift up our hearts to the Lord and ask him, what do you want me to hear today in this service? It's so different than I'm going to evaluate the sermon or the music or, you know, the people who are sitting around me. It's about meeting with God and um, communing with him, experiencing him. Um, Sometimes we come to church in a bad mood or we've had a fight with our husband on the way, or we're full of doubts or troubles. Um, But union with Christ helps us because uh, Christ is always giving perfect worship to God the Father. And we can rest in um, knowing that he is praying and praising God with us and for us and in us. We're also united to the body of Christ, to one another, and we are participating in a corporate act of worship. So if my worship is weak, or imperfect, my neighbor's act can strengthen or multiply what I can give. And that's very comforting. All right, sacraments. God knows that we need to sense him in our lives, to experience something tangible and real to help our faith. He graciously gives us sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper um, to help us feel his presence. Sacraments are a visible sign of an invisible reality. They are a sign and a seal of our union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? uh, And Wilborn, Rankin-Wilborn says, The Bible is saying that the Lord's Supper doesn't really merely remind us of a gift, It is the gift, and that gift is nothing less than Christ himself. As Christ says, this is my body, which is given for you. What the signs of bread and wine represent, they also present the real spiritual presence of Christ. 
I have found it to be true in my own life um, that taking communion regularly is a profoundly strengthening experience and it really nourishes my faith. And then lastly, community. Um, as we said a moment ago, union with Christ also means union with his body, with our brothers and sisters who are also in him. We need one another, don't we? Um, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and even God himself exists in perfect Trinitarian community within the Godhead. When we feel down or discouraged or fearful or uncertain, we can lean on the words of encouragement that our fellow believers have to give us. Union with Christ means that Christ is present to me in my brother or sister. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the Christ in my own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of my brother. My own heart is uncertain. My brother's is sure. Community gives us a place to be honest, open, to confess, to be encouraged, and to participate in the diversity of gifts that the Spirit has given his church. And then finally, um, the purpose of abiding. The purpose of abiding is, as Jesus said at the end of John 15, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Um, Jesus says that uh, he wants to give us joy, this fullness of joy, mature joy, his joy. This is a fully orbed joyfulness that encompasses suffering. Jesus knew suffering. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. But he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? I, I think it was union and communion with his father. That's what I think the joy set before him was, that he would participate in the life of the Trinity. And that gave him the strength to endure the cross. Um, so as Jesus had perfect joy in that, the stunning truth of the gospel is that he's made a way for us to participate in that same joy, that same union and communion that he has with the Father. So Jesus is inviting us to get drawn into the life of God himself. Jesus, the true vine, poured out his life as a sacrifice for you and me that we could drink the cup of gladness and the wine of the new covenant. As the psalmist David says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And you and I are little branches, right? Our job is just to abide with that vine and um, participate in all that he's doing in us and through us and for us. And that is the conclusion of this talk. Um, what I'd like to do to close is to um, invite you into an experience of abiding. So we've talked a lot about abiding, and I thought it would be a shame if we didn't get to abide. Uh, before we left. Um, so we're going to do that now together. And if you're comfortable, I'd love for you to sort of close your eyes and um, become prayerful. Um, if you're not comfortable, that is a-okay as well. Um, but just um, make sure that you're seated comfortably. You might put your feet on the floor. Take a few deep breaths. So close your eyes and let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you that you are here with us. 
that you have um, given us your word to um, instruct us and to guide us. We ask that your spirit would be with us now as we pray. I'd like you to take a moment and try to fill your heart and your mind with Christ. Maybe an image or a word or a thought from our time today. Just be open to his presence. Ask him to draw near to you. Draw near to Jesus. And now let's think about something that's difficult or painful in your life right now. Perhaps that's a relationship. or a burden, a worry, or a need. And now let's offer that to the Lord. Think about Jesus praying with you and for you in the Father's presence about this difficult thing. Remember that Jesus experienced all the difficulties and temptations that a human being can. He was rejected, despised, hungry, in need, bewildered, exhausted, lonely. He understands. Remember that Jesus knows how to commune with his Father, and you are united to him, and he is united to you. We are in his presence even now. Now I, I want to invite you to consider that God is calling you to respond to this difficulty by allowing the life of Christ to be formed in you through it. He is calling you to respond in holiness, with godly character, with mercy, love, steadfastness, 
with joy, with peace, with humility, with grace, with the mind of Christ, with the heart of Christ. I invite you to confess by faith in the spirit that you are thankful for this painful circumstance. You are thankful that God is allowing something this challenging into your life in this season, which can reorient your heart to him. Praise him that he is willing for Jesus to be formed in you through this difficulty. Thank him that he is giving you everything you need to stay close to God in this place. Abide in him. Lord, we, we thank you for this brief time of prayer, for drawing close to us, for speaking words of life into our hearts. We pray for the grace to stay close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, my prayer, ladies, is that the peace of Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us all. Thank you. Is it time? Is it? Uh, we can do question, answer, and or discussion time. Um, yeah.